1: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: You're listening to the FT Money Show from Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, would you credit it? As yet more mortgage lenders withdraw their products and close their doors to new borrowers, we ask what it's doing to the housing market. Sell pork bellies, buy corn, do something else with soybeans. Is now really the right time for private investors to enter the commodities market? The star of India. Can Newstar's partnership with India's Tata Group deliver sparkling performance, with the Mumbai market down 30% in just three months? And we have some good news and bad news for last-minute tax-efficient investors. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from Investors Chronicle, John McLeod. Hello. So let's start with the money news. Now, here's a quiz question for you. What has fallen by eight percent in a week and by forty percent in a month? No, it's not the Indian stock market or the price of soybeans. More on both of those later in the program. It's actually the number of mortgage products available to home buyers in the UK. At the beginning of March, there were seven thousand seven hundred and twenty-six different mortgage products available to home buyers, according to the financial information provider Moneyfacts.co.uk. Now there are fewer than four thousand eight hundred. And it seems that this dearth of deals is further slowing activity in the housing market. According to this week's Bank of England data, the number of mortgages approved for house purchase in February was nearly 40% lower than at the same time last year. So, to assess the impact on house prices, we're joined by FT Money's property expert Charlene Goff. Charlene, you've been speaking this week to a number of estate agents to sort of take the temperature of the of the housing market and um, find out if there is a knock-on effect on prices? What have they been saying to you?
3: Well, really, I think we are starting to see a knock-on effect on prices, and the property prices that are being affected... Most severely, are those that rely on mortgage finance, as that's becoming much harder to get. Um, the buyers of the sort of mainstream, mass market properties um, are having to get cheaper deals if they want to buy. So, estate agents are seeing really um, asking prices aren't being met in many occasions, and we're seeing discounts of 5, 10, even 15% on some properties now.
2: So the discounts that um, the people are are trying to get when buying are far greater than the than the reported falls in house prices that we're getting from the house price indices.
3: Yeah, that's right. The anecdotal data coming through. Um, And they say really this has been the last few weeks. They're seeing sort of bigger discounts being negotiated. Um, And what's quite interesting as well is that estate agents are saying there's a bit of a standoff between buyers and sellers. So the sellers are still thinking that they can get last year's peak prices and going in with quite optimistic um, asking prices. And buyers uh, are paying much more attention to the negative press and so on and and are really not willing to pay those prices um, and are offering uh, prices which are much lower, often quite cheeky, some estate agents are saying. So it all depends on whether the vendor has to sell. Um, And if they do, they probably will have to cut their price a bit. If they don't, they might bring their property off the market and put it on again in six months' time when it's all calmed down.
2: So it sounds like there's there's a sort of complete disconnection between what sellers think they can get and what buyers think they can get away with.
3: Yeah, definitely. And and
2: I suppose another um, factor, I mean, I've heard anecdotally that the number of sellers uh, this time of the year is roughly the same as it was this time last year. But it's the number of buyers that's just been decimated. than decimated. well
3: enough. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's just... Um, feeling they'll wait and and see what happens. You know, everything seems a bit chaotic at the moment. You can't get a mortgage. You don't quite know where house house prices are going. Um, Interest rates um, may be coming down again. I think unless people really have to buy now, a lot of people are thinking ride it out until the summer and see what happens and maybe take another look in three or six months' time.
2: I think everyone seems to be waiting for um, liquidity to return to the money markets yeah. so that um, uh, the banks and building societies can offer more attractive rates, and, and that's going to be the crucial factor. But, John, I think be, you have a view that there are some good deals out there, and it's it's not necessarily the rates that are determining whether or not people can get the mortgages. It's the, It's the willingness of the lender to... Deal with the
4: applications. That's right. I mean, frustrated I've withdrawn the mortgages to not to non-customers, not not to frustrate customers, but simply because they're overwhelmed because they're one of the ones offering a good deal. I mean, if you think that mortgage applications have fallen off by forty percent year on year, I think a lot of the products that have been taken off the market, it's it's more of a an, an admin issue. And meanwhile, lenders have cut, have cut the staff and not taken on staff, so they're now finding staffing problems. Um, so that's a more that's a more optimistic view of things. On the other hand, you've got a problem in that from Monday, capital gains tax is going to down to um, a flat rate of 18%, whereas investors used to have to hold on for up to 10 years to get the 24% um, capital gains tax rate after taper relief or, when selling the properties. So, um, buy-to-let mo- buy investors might think, if I'm not going to see capital appreciation, there's no point holding on, I might, I might start selling it. So, if you do have a wave of um, houses hitting the market, that could push prices further down. Although it
2: might start to get the market moving again
4: if the first-time buyers feel confident about, about coming into the market but they yeah. might want to wait and hold off and see if there are falls
2: but it sounds like it everything will depend on whether people can get the mortgage finance they need quickly enough and at attractive rates
4: and if you feel confident about going to the market i mean i think the one difference between the uk and the us is that we don't have such an oversupply supply of properties that they that they do there so the demand might hold up here
2: And Charlene, just finally, what's your view? Do you think that we'll start to see um, more attractive mortgage deals in three months, six months?
3: It's really hard to say at the moment whether we've passed the worst or there's still um, more bad news to come. I mean, at the end of the day, lenders have to lend. And I'm sure some will try and come back into the market because it must be really hurting their profit margins. But... At the moment, it seems that the only rates, the only way they're moving is upwards and lenders are are pulling back on a daily basis. So it doesn't seem to be much light at the end of the tunnel quite yet.
2: Not quite yet. (laughs) We will see later in the year. Um, Yes. thanks, uh, Thanks, Charlene. And you can find Charlene's analysis of the UK housing market and her asking price map of Britain in this week's FT Money in the weekend FT out on the 5th and 6th of April and online at ft.com/forward/slash/money. You can also send in your questions by emailing us at at ft.com. Still to come in the programme: Will new stars, new emerging market fund shine brightly in India? And we have some good news and bad news on the deadline for making tax-efficient investments. But first, agricultural commodities. With diets changing in emerging economies and vehicles changing from petrol to ethanol-based fuels, demand for commodities such as corn, wheat and pork bellies was high in 2007. But this year, the prices of some agricultural commodities have been falling Soybean and wheat prices have been down in recent weeks as traders have chewed over the implications of the shifts in agricultural production, likely across the US farming industry this year. So is this the time to invest in a new agricultural commodities fund? Uh, and indeed, is this the time to launch one of these funds? Um, John, you've been uh, answering and addressing some of these questions
4: this week. It seems ironic that just at the point where Prices have become more volatile. A lot of these new funds are to come out. There are four of them launching in the next few weeks. So I spoke to Henry Boucher, who's the manager of the and agrasar Fund, and I began asking about the long-term trend that's driving prices.
5: The combination of factors have been around for some time. In particular, uh, population growth is something that people have always worried about, right back from the great um, English economist Malthus, who argued that um, ultimately the population would be too big for the supply of food. And in the last 12 years alone, we've seen a further billion um, people added to the world population. And uh, the United Nations expects another billion in the next 12 years, so that's a big factor. But we also have increasing standards of living in the emerging world, which um, are adding significantly to levels of demand. So people are enjoying higher protein diets, for instance. And if you add that to the policies that are being introduced to combat climate change, um, in particular, um, the, um, the introduction of biofuels, and combine that with the high oil prices, then you've got a very strong um, new level of, long-term level of demand in um, the agricultural space.
4: So prices have re-taken off in the last couple of years. I mean, do you think that these recent rises are sustainable?
5: Well, the short-term causes, um, I think, perhaps are not totally sustainable. I mean, some of them relate to um, weather factors, which is always um, a big issue in agriculture. So we've had an unprecedented drought in Australia, um, probably the worst in 100 years. We've got very low stockpiles of food, Um, High energy prices are feeding through the biofuels market, Um, and recently we've seen a a very significant increase in the amount of uh, speculative money coming into uh, agricultural commodity markets. So I don't think many of those factors are necessarily sustainable. I think it's the long-term drivers that that will still be there in the background.
4: So are there some areas that you think there could be problems in current prices? Yes, I think
5: um, if you look at, say, wheat, I mean people have to remember what you're buying when you uh, invest in the commodities market is really this year's crop. Um, so we'll have to see how things turn out over the summer. Um, and there was recently this important U.S. plantings report which showed us that farmers, in fact, have been planting quite a lot more more soy and a bit less corn than was expected. So the maize price is actually likely to remain fairly strong. Um, I think the one where we may see um, further falls is, is the wheat price where um, there is evidence that a lot of people have been um, planting more wheat in response to the higher price and we could end up with, with quite a bumper crop this year. Um, but I think one of the dangers with with uh, agricultural commodities is the weather is always there, and it's it's always very difficult to speculate about short-term trends.
4: Are there some ways of playing counter school trends?
5: Yes, I mean, this is something we're doing in our agriculture fund. In, in particular, um, if you look at some of the people who've suffered as a result of these um, high um, uh, basic commodity prices, and take the, the, um, the pig farmers or the poultry farmers, for instance, uh, who suffer when grain prices rise... Uh, when grain prices start to fall back, they could well be beneficiaries. If you go back to the long-term trends, you've got uh, a number of of major underlying um, price increases, potentially, in in things like fertilizer, where there's very limited supply. So if you're trying to produce more food, um, you you can see tremendous asset plays in some of the, for instance, potash um, miners who... um, basically control something which is becoming increasingly scarce. That was Henry Boucher uh, talking to
2: John a little bit earlier. Um, John, Henry's fund is one of four um, that you've that you mentioned uh, that's going to be launching in the next few weeks and months. Do you think fund investment is the, the way to go Uh, over the longer term, to get over this sort of period of volatility?
4: There are different ways to play it. If you invest in funds, most of them now are investing in the companies themselves. So that picks up Henry's point about the fact that it's it's more about the company's prospects than those of individual commodities. Um, the best-known fund in the sector is Schroder Agriculture, which has actually had to, had to close now to investors because it's raised over £5 billion, um, and the managers feel they can't cope with the capacity. You can actually still access it, the same strategy, through a more diversified Schroder Offshore Commodities Fund. Or you can invest in some of these other commodity fund, agricultural commodity funds, which invest indirectly in companies. But there are also alternative ways to take exposure to the commodity prices themselves. So, so uh, if you had a... A strong view on an individual commodity, and I think
2: uh, Henry was saying that he was a little bit bearish on, on wheat. So l- let's just say that I shared his view, I don't know anything about commodities, uh, but if I were, were bearish on wheat, could I short wheat? And if so, how would I do it?
4: Uh, again, there are different ways to do that. You can, you can use more risky derivative plays, or you can use, the probably the most sensible way to do it is using exchange-traded commodities, which are like exchange-traded funds that are listed on a, on, on London Stock Exchange. Um you can use those to go long on commodity prices, but you can also go short. So, so if the price falls, you, you profit on a one-for-one basis, and you can do that on both individual commodities and c- baskets of, of agricultural commodities.
2: And rather than having to
4: to short
2: uh, an exchange-traded commodity, I, I, affect, I is it right that I I buy you, you a buy short. Etc. as they're known, and I can do that through my stockbroker.
4: You can do it through your stockbroker, and you can do, for example, you can do pairs trades where you think one's going to rise, you could buy a leveraged ETC, so you get two times the price rise, or you can buy a short ETC where you get one times the price fall as, as profit. Well, it's just like that film, Trading Places, isn't it? So I'm almost tempted to go out and
2: uh, jump into the pit uh, right now. John, thank you very much indeed um, for that, and for more on agricultural commodities funds, look out for John's feature in Investors Chronicle, which is on sale from the 11th of April. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on tax-efficient individual savings accounts. Before that, though, a new fund investing in India... Fund manager Newstar has announced that it's formed a partnership with the Tata Group, one of India's largest business conglomerates, to launch an Indian equity fund in the second quarter of 2008. It's the latest emerging market fund from the UK group following the launch of its Heart of Africa fund in November 2007. And the prospects look good with the Indian economy posting strong growth in excess of 8% in each of the last three years. But with the Indian stock market down 30% in just three months, what are the prospects for investors in the future? Well, to find out, Ellen Kelleher of FT Money spoke to New Star Chairman John Duffield and Farooq Kavarana, Chairman of Tata Asset Management Limited.
0: John, would you explain why you decided to launch a fund, a new star fund in India.
1: Yes, uh, the fundamental reason is that we believe that India is one of the most attractive countries in the world to invest in, uh, growing, as you know, at 8% per annum, which is, by European standards, of course, huge, huge rate of growth. And we believe that this is a fund for retail investors, and we believe that the retail investors in the United Kingdom really ought to be participating in that extraordinary rate of growth.
0: And Farooq, why did you agree to this deal?
6: Well, we are an asset management company, and we all are always looking to increase our assets under management. Uh, and we felt that the UK retail investor hadn't, had not yet been well served by anybody else. And uh, we decided that, uh, or rather both Newstar and we thought we'd be an excellent combination to tap the, Indian, uh, the, um, the retail market in the United Kingdom for investment in India.
0: And, Farouk, there has been a correction in the Indian market recently, and the shares have come off quite significantly. Uh, how Do you think now is the time to invest, or is there, uh, is there value to be found in the short term?
6: I think there's some value to be found um, in the medium term and certainly great value to be found in the long term. I can't predict how markets will react. I mean, I think this reaction may go further, it may, uh, it may bottom out here. Uh, so it's rather difficult to predict, uh, make short-term predictions.
0: What companies would you encourage private investors to look at?
6: Well, I think the whole Indian market has been, um, uh, what should I call it, uh, uh, has suffered a correction. Um, and I think there's value to be found in most sectors at this point in time. But I would certainly think the infrastructure sector uh, which is uh, uh, you know, so materials like steel,
3: uh,
6: heavy vehicles. I'm not talking Tata vehicles only. Uh, but uh, I, I think um, power stations, uh, companies that are in the power sector, companies that are in road construction, um, building bridges, things of that nature, would find greater value than just the traditional uh, IT stocks that uh, have been the flavor of the month for quite some time.
0: And, John, Newstar has uh, suffered in recent months as well with uh, the outflows that you've seen. Uh, why did you decide to go into the Indian market now?
1: Uh, the, sh- the short-term timing is a bit arbitrary because to launch a fund like this takes time. It's not something you can say, the Indian market's corrected, so we'll launch a fund next week. That's just not realistic. It takes 9 to 12 months because, first of all, we have to... Um, get to know our joint venture partners, Tata. And then, of course, there's all the long, long regulatory process, which takes a long time. Uh, this is a Luxembourg fund, so it's got to be approved in Luxembourg and here. So it's four or five months just for the regulation alone. From the point of view of the fund, it's fortuitous, of course, that we've had this correction, because uh, clearly we'd rather start the fund after a 25% fall than with hindsight at, at the peak.
0: And uh, how closely will Newstar be involved in sort of overseeing the fund's performance
1: well, we have total, total confidence in Tata asset management, of course, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. And they have very great knowledge of the Indian market, obviously, and we have almost no knowledge of the Indian market, so that's w- why it's such a valuable idea for us that we can uh, use their expertise as asset managers in India, and uh, from their point of view, of course, we have our retailing expertise in London, so that is the nature of the, It's Tata's asset management skills combined with our marketing skills here in London.
2: That was Ellen Kelleher from FT Money talking to John Duffield from Newstar and Farouk Cavarana of Tata Asset Management and finally today, good news, bad news on last minute ISA investments. The bad news is that the tax year ends on the fifth of April, and if you haven 't taken out an ISA for two thousand and seven 2008, you'll lose the chance to invest up to £7,000 tax efficiently. But the good news is that if you're listening to this on Friday the 4th or Saturday the 5th of April, there's still time to invest. John, um, you've been uh, finding out that a certain... ISA providers are keeping their doors open until I think midnight on Saturday the fifth.
4: Right, right up the line. I mean, some some providers have shut early, some even a week before the deadline. But um, certainly up till Friday, you can get uh, applied with a lot of people. A lot of people still accept postal applications Saturday. And if you want to apply on the a and internet, you can buy funds with Fidelity's fund supermarket network. That's until midnight. Or IFA Best Invests open again until uh, until midnight. Um, Alliance Trust is open till midnight. That's for self sizes with shares and funds. Hargreaves Lansdown until 11:45. Barclays till 6 p.m. and TD Waterhouse until noon. You can go in by delivered by hand in London until until noon, with TD Waterhouse.
2: So you can literally take your envelope down to TD Waterhouse by Saturday, midday on Saturday, Saturday, or sit in front of your uh, computer at 11:59. Pondering which fund to invest, and then hit return, and you'll still get your your ISA allowance.
4: And you don't even have to invest; in, you can hold cash or use phased investment schemes if you're worried about investing straight, putting your money into the market straight away.
2: Which is a good point, given you know, volatility in in markets uh, at present. What about um, investors in um, self invested personal pensions or SIPS um, th- if they want to take a, you know a, a advantage of? Uh, making a contribution in this particular tax
4: year can they also leave it that late again you can still apply until, until Saturday it could be particularly advantageous to do it if you're a basic rate taxpayer because you get 22% relief at the moment from April 6 it'll go down to 20% so um it could be time to topic on contributions Hargreaves Lansdown they're they're open till 11:45 and Barclays will accept postal contributions until Saturday on Saturday and that is
2: the sort of the very last time you can get twenty two percent basic rate tax relief
4: on those contributions, isn't it? There is one slight wrinkle in that, which is there might be an advantage investing in an ISA now if you're a basic rate taxpayer, and then later on, if you become a higher rate taxpayer, investing it when you get the forty percent tax relief. So that could depend on your circumstances, and it's a bit of a, a bit of a gamble because there are some worries that the forty percent tax relief may go anyway. Right, but you need to pretty much take your view by Saturday, the 5th of April. Time is running
2: out. Why do we always leave these things to the last minute? It's just human nature, isn't it? Um, John, thank you very much. Uh, And that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from John. Goodbye.